A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. Summer's over, it's over, it's over. That's it, no more now. Take in the chairs and the umbrellas and everything you have and little pools in the back garden and furniture. It is over. And you were all crying about it last week that it was too hot. Well, Sam's just right today. It's a lot cooler and the rain has fallen and, 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 and it's not over. It's not over. It can't be over. It's only a break, a slight break in it. It's going to get warmer again, I promise you. Welcome to Late Lunch, a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show. Shut the weather. We talk about it all the time, don't we? Well, I'll tell you something else people are talking about. Listen to this. 5,600 private landlords have quit the Irish rental market, i.e. they've sold up their properties since April 2021. This is unprecedented. And you do know that, you know, basically landlords, I hate the term anyway, I hate it, got bad press for so long. And yet now I've been reading a lot the weekend. Everybody and anybody who criticised them wants them back. And recently, my first guest today has had his say about this. And my God, has it caught people's attention in the online world. I'm delighted to say hello again on Late Lunch to Property Partners, Gary Little. Hello, Gary. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks very much for joining me on the show. Gary, the reason landlords are getting out is, look, the prices are almost are at even excess of Celtic Tiger levels. Is that the reason, Gary? It's not the reason, Jerry. And this is the story that's been banded around by, you know, kind of people in government and opposition. Um, they're using it as an excuse. Um, the real reason is the failed policies um, of government over the last number of years, policies that were brought in to try and curb rental prices, um, to try and appease and, and, and try and make a market good again. And they simply haven't worked two main reasons that landlords are actually leaving the market is regulation and lack of control of their own property anymore and um, how they're treated from a tax point of view. So landlords are, have 
started to speak with their feet now at this stage they're simply just getting out of the market they've had enough um, that tells its own story there doesn't seem to be any money or any profit in the business anymore for the amount of kind of work and risk that's involved with it Cap on rental in certain zones of which we have a number here in the northeast. you're saying that's not worked? hasn't worked no 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 because it's all all it's done is it's chased out actually it's pushed the good landlords out because what happened when they brought rent control in um, you might have had a landlord there who had a very good relationship with his tenant and never increased the rent or always had it maybe at below market value and just there was a good relationship there with the tenant once that rent control came in, the landlord was stuck on that rent with a very, very fractional increase per annum allowed. So when the landlord actually lost, or when that, that tenant eventually maybe moved out of the house, the landlord was actually stuck at that low rent and they've looked around and kind of said, well, this isn't worth it and I'm taking a risk now. I had a great relationship with my last tenant, but if I put a new tenant in there and it doesn't work out as well, um, I'm going to be in trouble trying to get them out. And I'm also getting way lower than market value. So, do you know what? I'm just going to sell the property. And Gary, you're talking about accidental landlords. You know what I'm talking about. The person who maybe bought a property with an eye on, you know, their pension down the road. Is that, are these, in these numbers of 5,600, would the majority be that category? Well, I suppose accidental landlords are more so people who maybe bought an apartment or bought a house in an area um, at, at the time, maybe a one-bedroom apartment, mm. and then they started a family and it no longer suited their needs, but they found themselves in negative equity. Maybe they bought it during the boom. So what they did is they rented out that property and yes. bought a house or a property more suitable to their needs. So that's how you'd probably define an accidental yeah. landlord. Yeah. Um, the majority of small landlords landlords are people who made a decision, made a long-term decision that they were going to take a mortgage out on a property, that it was going to supplement their rent, their pension yes. into into their 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, and they seem to be the majority of the people who are okay. actually getting out. Um, so they're not getting out because the prices are good, because once they sell the property, they might, they might have a few pounds in the bank, but that doesn't solve their problem in terms of generating a, a, an incremental rent increase or income into their into their future, you know they they just simply have had enough. They just don't see any 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 value or any merit in staying as a landlord. So what's happened? The tenants are the ones who have suffered because the the supply of these houses and apartments in towns like Drada, RD, Dunlear have just shrank and shrank and shrank. And laws of supply and demand, Jerry, when supply goes down. Yeah. prices go up and and will you answer this to me because I'm very curious about this when these people sell out be they accidental or those investing in their pension who are now going and fleeing the market when you talk about those figures the new purchaser are most of those then uh, bought to live in or is it other no obviously it can't be it's not other investors if there's no supply people are buying these to live in and make their home is that it? Yeah, that, that's it, exactly. So I, I suppose some people might say, well, you know, if, if, if the landlord sells up, someone's going to get the benefit of it. But the problem with that is we're effectively throwing people to the wolves who actually aren't fortunate enough to be able to get a, a mortgage, mm-hmm. who are maybe on low income or maybe, you know, for their own circumstances, they're not in a position to get a mortgage. So it's that cohort of, of low earners that are the ones who are actually being penalised. 
Um, the, the person who buys it is fortunate enough to be in a position to have been able to get a mortgage. Um, but, you know, it's it's like the old, when, when we were all a bit younger, um, when you got your first job or whatever and you start a relationship, you you moved into a rental property either with a few friends or with your, with your new partner. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the generation coming up now and generation in the future, it looks like they're going to be still living at home with mammy and daddy into their 30s and 40s, which is a really, really sad situation to be in for society. Mm. And we've been talking about this for her long and there's been to and fro and and yet it just still seems to be uh, the prime issue and, and getting worse, as you say. So just back to that point again to say anyone who's getting out in that property sold, it's occupied now nearly by the owner. Yeah, like we did it. We did a straw, small straw poll in our office there recently, and we reckon for every ten landlords that are getting out, there's probably just one re-entering the market. Okay. So okay. that's a constant squeeze on the rental sector, and we've seen it. in we, we'll take Dunleer for example. Like we always used to look after quite a few houses in Dunleer for small landlords. Effectively, it it served a market in the area. Local young couples were renting those properties. What happened? when those landlords get out there's no new supply those people are then being pushed into Drogheda putting more pressure on the market here they've been pushed into Dundalk um, you know which which just creates even greater pressure in terms of, of prices and demand Is it too late to recover this situation because I go back to what you alluded to and landlords getting out because section 23 was withdrawn that's no more bed sit situation was gone the local property tax not deductible from the tax bill uh, and uh, tax relief large scale here's the thing large scale landlords get the relief but the smaller guys pay 52% so there's no incentive there there's too much militating against isn't there? Well, it's simply not fair because the REITs and hedge funds, um, we all have, you know, they have a role to play. They are building uh, quite a lot of, of of accommodation, but they're building it in the in the high end markets where they mm. where they can maximise rents. They're not interested in in developing properties in Drogheda or um, Navan or RD, um, so they're they're only concentrating on certain areas. Um, I think there is. I think there is solutions, and I think it's it's probably fairness is what landlords are looking for. Um, the REITs and hedge funds, because of their tax structure, effectively pay little or no tax. Yes. And yet the the landlord who maybe owns one, two, three houses is paying effectively fifty two, fifty three percent, with very little that they can actually write off um, in terms of the costs and expenses. So I, I, I think what landlords are actually looking for is a bit of fairness and, and, and to make it viable. And I think if they do put kind of tax structures in place that make it viable and they do start looking at the, the regulations and start, I suppose, making a landlord feel that, you know, it is still their property. Um, there's huge risks involved in this game. Like 95% of tenants are great. We have great relationship with them. The landlords have great relationship with them. But there is a cohort out there as well who know the system, who don't respect the property. And the way the regulation is set out at the moment, if you get caught with a tenant like that, you're in serious trouble. It could be six months or a year trying to get your property back. And you've got a mortgage commitment on that property. Um, you know, and if you can't make that mortgage commitment, what happens? The banks then step in. Mm. What about the PRTB? Everyone has to sign up for that tenant and landlord. Yeah, tenant and landlord have to sign up. It's law. Um, but the regulations are lopsided, Jerry. Um, you know, and it's slow. 
if you've got a, a dispute with a, with a tenant, um, the process is too slow, it's too onerous, um, and landlords are completely frustrated by it, which again is another another factor why they're basically saying, I've, I, I just can't do this anymore. I, I, I was interested to look at the European model, and, and I know you're familiar with this as well. In many European countries, Germany, Holland, Belgium, etc., th- there's long-term letting. People actually uh, rear their families in properties. They're there for 10, 15, 20 years or more. That's not a model that you see or will happen, is it? Or, or could it happen in Ireland? Is it something you'd like to see? I, I don't I look I, I think everybody aspires to own their own home and I and I think you'll probably find it's the same in European countries like Germany and, and what really happens in Germany is people rent a house to suit their needs and, and they're probably a little bit more transient but they have a, a system in place in Germany where you pay into effectively a bond once you start working uh, similar enough to a pension and when that matures what a lot of people actually do is they go out and buy their final house with that when the kids have been reared and stuff like that. So, Mm. look, I think everybody should aspire to own a home and I think everyone should be encouraged to, to own a home. But... There, there's a there's a cohort of society that are just because of the nature of their job or whatever it is are not and and how it pays are not in a position to get a mortgage. Um, and there's also a lot of people who don't want to commit to a certain area. People want to be transient now. Younger people are different. Their jobs aren't as secure. They're not lifetime jobs anymore. So you know they want to rent in Drogheda because they've got a position in a in a company for Drogheda. They might stay here for four or five years. They don't want the hassle of having to sell off a house if they get a new position over in. London or in Galway or wherever it is. So there's there's a place for it. It's not the solution to the housing problem, but you know the the country needs a good, vibrant rental market at realistic rents that people can afford. But it has to be two sided. It has to be fair for the landlord and fair for the tenant. At this moment in time, it's not fair for either. And a couple of things before we finish up. You've pointed to it there. The big developers and the uh, you know yourself, these funds that are coming into Ireland are develop, developing vast swathes of apartments, especially in the in the hot urban areas. They're not going to solve our problem here in the northeast, in Dundalk, in Drogheda, in Navin, in Kells. No. No, not at all. They're they're not. Why why would they like? You know, they they're they're maximising profits. They're they're looking at areas where you know Dublin, for example, where they can look at kind of executives moving into areas and the tech companies that are paying very good salaries, and they're going for maximum rents. Um, they're they're not looking they're not looking to develop or charge rents for the ordinary Joe Soap who's on a you know an, an average you know industrial wage in this country. Base that, that that's not who they're targeting. Um, so, you know, the, the private landlord was the only one that was kind of filling that void, um, and they've now they're now just, as I said, voting with their feet, and they're just saying we're getting out. As that famous store says, when they're gone, they're gone, and it um, certainly applies to this. One last thing: uh, Celtic Tiger prices on properties. Are we there? Are we there yet? Are we? There's another ad for you. Are we there yet, or, or beyond it? Um, we're we're probably not far away from it, Jerry. Um, I think we've probably seen a little bit of spike in prices over the COVID period, just because a lot of people deferred selling. There was a lot of builders unable to kind of 
keep their building program up. So there was a squeeze in in supply for that period. I think that's probably starting to bed itself down a little bit now. Um, I don't think we're we're looking at any crashes anytime soon. There's too much demand, but I think prices are actually finally starting to kind of slow and bed themselves down. I don't think we're heading quite to where they were at the boom, but it mightn't be too far off. Gary Little, Property Partners, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Jerry. Take, Take care. care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Gary Little there. Have you anything to say? I hate the word landlord. I say that again. I absolutely hate it. His connotations back in uh, when this country was occupied and all that goes at that. And I, I, I don't know what, what you say or what, what you call it, but I don't like the word at all. But I have to say that uh, it's a, a very, very serious situation and it's all over the papers over the weekend and it's amazing to see the change in tack where landlords were once demonised and I can tell you, the most of them are small and did their best and looked after people uh, and there are some bad eggs, which there are in any basket, of course there are. But now people like Leo Fradker calling... You know, calling that something has to be done about this, that they can't all leave and we're going to be in a mess. Oh, my God. Such a country this is. Don't get me started. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to contact me on the show. Dermot Kennedy, power over me and your late lunch this Monday afternoon. I wonder who Antonio Conte and Thomas Tuchel have power over. Did you see it yesterday? I watched Match of the Day last night. It was absolutely brilliant. I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed the Chelsea-Tottenham game yesterday. The match had everything under the sun. And then the clash, the clash on the sideline. And at the end, when Tuchel held Conte's hand and wouldn't let it go because he wouldn't look him in the eye. And Conte is like that. He finds it hard to look at you straight in the eye. And Tuchel held on to him. Wasn't it just something else? You know, that's the stuff that makes it as well. Friend of ours, Declan, always says it's showbiz. By God, that added to the show business last night or uh, yesterday afternoon for sure uh, at the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It was something else. I better not mention Manchester United. Who? Manchester who? Manchester United. Remember them? One time they were great. I wouldn't worry too much, United fans, because I'm a gooner, as you know, and we're top of the league, joint with Manchester City, Arsenal. Won't last, will it? Anyway, United, Arsenal lost their first three games last year and should have made it to the Champions League. So take a little solace out of that. But to be honest with you, I do worry. I do worry for Manchester United. Glory, glory. Anyway, it was such a football feast over the weekend between great football and the Conte Tuchel. Seconds away, round two. We can't wait for the rematch at the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Of course, yesterday's game was at Stanford Bridge, I should say. Last evening I was at home. I don't know what I was doing. I was sitting reading the papers, I think. Looked out the window, the front window of the house, and this apparition appears down in front of the house and into the garden. And, of course, you know me being uh, the curious guy that I am, out I goes. Guess what it was? A Chinese lantern in my front garden. And here's the thing about it, folks. The reason I say it to you, anyone come across a Chinese lantern in their gardens anywhere about the northeast last night? Because when I went out to pick it up, it was still molten hot on the bottom of the lantern. And I was just thinking to myself, with the hot weather and all the warnings about barbecues and don't do this, don't do that, because you'll burn the countryside out of it. Had that lantern landed in a hay or a straw field or on a, a crisp, dry ditch? I'm telling you, it would have just ignited it like that. 
So I'm just saying to people, the lanterns are lovely to see them in the sky. But by God, be careful this weather because I know we got damped down last night with the rain and as for the lightning storm, wasn't it just something else? I sat up to watch it. It was incredible watching the lightning going, going. It was in the distance now, not just in our area, but you could see it all over. But Chinese lanterns, molten hot at the bottom when they touched down on ground, they could just kick off a, a forest fire, a fire in the fields, you name it. It is so, so dangerous. Please do think about not letting them off in the dry conditions. Anyone else see a Chinese lantern or did it appear in the gardens? Let me know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Coming up after two on the show, the money doctor John Lowe is with us and he's talking about working on beyond the retirement age and your pension. Well, he hasn't tickets for Daniel O'Donnell, I know, but he has tickets for the uh, second instalment of Conte versus Tuchel. Yes, the money doctor, John Lowe, is a big Tottenham fan. Welcome back, John. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Jerry. Uh, you're absolutely right, actually. It was a contest, a, a pugilist contest, um, but fantastic stuff. I mean, it, passion has b- been brought back into soccer yes. again. And I, and I have to say, I welcome it. You know, it's about time. It's the very word that's missing with Manchester. United at the moment. True, John. That is so true. Anyway, great game yesterday. Let's get on to the subject matter of today. And we're going to co- cover a few finan- financial areas. Let's begin with this pension thing, John, where you work on beyond your retirement age and you get a bigger pension from the state. What do you make of this? Well, they're trying to kind of introduce it, uh, you know, quietly. And essentially, I mean, Charlie Weston uh, brought it to the fore there last week. And, and essentially, you're getting 4% Jerry extra in your, your income. If you delay taking your pension at 66 and you go to, say, 67, you get a 4% extra amount on your 253 euros, $0.30. Therefore, you can work it out, you know, logically that you would have to uh, live for a minimum 25 years in order to justify uh, not taking your pension at the age of 66 because you've missed out a whole year of uh, pension contributions. But you get an extra 4%. That 4% every year uh, would be 25, 25 times 4% is 100%. Mm. So it, it, you know, the chances of you then living beyond 92 are slim. Mm. They and, are slim, unfortunately. And you won't be able to uh, rock and roll or duck and dive or <laughs> jive or anything like that. You have to think, look, seriously, these are things you've got to consider, John, aren't they? Yeah, but I think, I think what the government needs to do, and I think it's the right way of going about it, because we are, as I've said many times before on, on this pension time bomb, uh, the government needs to incentivize people not to take out the pension. So if it was me and I was, say, uh, 66, due to take the pension, I would say, well, look, I'll defer it for five years if you gave me maybe 20% on mm. top of my pension in five years' time. Mm. Now they could work out actuarially, you know, what the chances are that, you know, that person's going to live uh, with an extra 20% of that uh, pension pot. Mm. The the whole thing you've been banging that drum for years and years. You don't feel it's been addressed at all. We're we're heading for the rocks, are we? No, I tell you why. Because I, and I mentioned before to you, Jerry, about you know uh, when when I joined the Bank of Ireland, which wasn't yesterday. Um, you know, the bank manager retired at sixty five, and six months later he was dead because we didn't have the longevity, we didn't have yes. the health, we didn't have the mm. the interest, and all the various things that now you know make up life. 
uh, people are living longer, healthier, and demographically, we can live to without really much uh, any issues up to kind of mid 80s. Um, like 70 now is is the new kind of 50. Mm. You know, and, and, and it's, it's really gone to the stage where, you know, who's funding all this? Where's the money coming from that is going to continue paying 253 euros 30 cents? And the government are already, you know, next month with the, the, the budget, this is going to be the last free uh, kind of opportunity that any of uh, the two main governments, uh, are the two main parties rather, are going to get in order to woo voters for the next election. That's what it's all about. Uh, re-election. Now, there's a lot of talk around this coming budget, but can I ask you first, and as you said, you started a few years back uh, with Bank of Ireland and have years of experience behind you all across the board. I can think of the late 80s when, you know yourself, John, uh, the, the interest rates went through the roof and it were difficult times. We had the 2007 crash. We, we, we hear a lot of scaremongering at the moment about how people are going to weather this horrific storm that we've been told about that lies ahead. Context it in, the, in those other events? Well, uh, absolutely. I mean, I do remember uh, it was actually, I think, around the mid-70s where interest rates went to 100%. Mm. Imagine, imagine having that now. Mm. <laughs> you get your mortgage. But it also applied to deposits. I mean, deposits now are still in the doldrums and they will be for the foreseeable future. Um, they're not going to be raising any, uh, you know, that's why people are flooding into um, prize bonds and the likes, because you've got the government guarantee. Mm. But, um, yeah, we, we, we had the recession of, you know, 2007, 2008. Um, you know, things went pear-shaped in the stock market. Even when coronavirus hit only two years ago, mm. uh, it was 20, 30%. But if you did nothing, Jerry, and you sat still and you waited for the, the, the dust to settle for Four months later, it all came back. Mm, mm. You know, so it's very cyclical, and the stock market in particular, um, you know, is a longer-term investment. So I would never, ever advise clients to go into the stock market investment uh, on a short fix. For anything, anything shorter than five years, they should not be in the stock market. Now, this 30% tax rate, what's this about? Yeah, I think it's it's a call again to try and help the be, the beleaguered, squeezed middle like you and me, Jerry. We're we're squeezed middle, you know. We we put on a few pounds and and they're now squeezing it. <laughs> well, well, this is this is precisely where you know we've been paying. It doesn't take much for a person to get from the twenty percent tax rate and hitting that forty percent tax rate. So that is probably at this stage around maybe thirty six, thirty seven thousand euros. Yeah. Uh, which which is not which is still a good a relatively good income uh, compared to all those people who may, may be on their twenties uh, in in terms of income, but it's still not a great income. Uh, so if you're on fifty thousand and you're single, you're well in the forty percent bracket. Mm. So what this new uh, proposal the government are thinking of bringing in next month through the budget is to bring in a third band. 30%, so 20, 30, 40. So those people who might be hitting, you know, paying a lot of tax and they're on 50,000 will now pay much less. And it'll, it'll probably start at the 40% tax uh, rate at the 50,000 rate.
mm. at the 50,000 level. I have questions coming in. I, I am on pension since age 66. I've continued to work to age 68. Have I any entitlement to this increase? I wouldn't think so if you've drawn the pension, no? No, no, no. Um, no. Once you've drawn the pension, you're on 253 euros, um, yeah. 30 cents. And if you're living alone, by the way, um, you, you, you get an extra 22 euros a week. So that's 275 euros, 30 cents. Mm. So if you've drawn it, no. You would have had to forego it and it's not in yet. They're talking about this. Yeah. Another one there. I am currently receiving job, job seekers allowance I reach 65 soon will I be automatically switched to the pre-pension payment at 65? Yes that is uh, that was brought in actually last budget uh, they, they reintroduced that so you will be uh, you will be allowed that uh, payment and then at age 66 you're then put on the form of pension which is currently as I say 253 euros 30 cents a week so that's uh, that covered off there. What about interest rates, John? They're edging up bit by bit. Uh, where do you see them going? Well, you know, traditionally, um, governments used to increase uh, interest rates once inflation started its nasty journey upwards. Well, the nasty journey upwards, Jerry, it's up 10%, uh, certainly 9.1% this uh, last month it was recorded, which is, I think, the highest some for 38 years. Um, it's likely to hit 10%, you know, things are still not disimproving, but they're, 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 they're really not getting any better. And I think that, you know, if this war in Ukraine continues, um, and one or two other incidents, you know, uh, well, well, you know, you know, you've had the Salman Rushdie uh, mm. unfortunate affair, and that, that could blow up into all sorts of issues and problems worldwide. Mm. So, I mean, uh, where is it going? Uh, you know, the uh, we, we kind of, the ECB increased it by half a percent, uh, which they were expecting a quarter uh, there last month, and it's probably likely to go up another quarter percent. But as I said to you before, that you know, for those people who are, for instance, on track and mortgages, mm. you know, this was nothing like uh, in 2006, seven, when the ECB rate raised the, the the base rate a quarter percent every month for 12 consecutive months. That was three percent. The people were screaming; they wanted to get off track and mortgages, and then suddenly. Uh, after a couple of years of this, the, the ECB decided to drop it down to zero percent, and all those track and mortgage holders are, have now been laughing all the way to the bank. However, now it's the foot, uh, or the thing is on the other foot, because with it, kind of ECB rates rising, when is the optimum time to move out of a track and mortgage and and put it into say a fixed rate or a standard variable rate? Well, I don't believe that it is at the moment because you still have to have at least two and a half percent increases in ECB rates to actually justify you moving out of a tracker mortgage okay. and that's not going to happen in the next year or two so stick with the tracker is uh, the message uh, for the moment stick with the tracker I mean the, the best rate out there for say 80% or less in terms of mortgages is 2.05% and the biggest danger out there Jerry is apathy those people who are sitting either on a standard variable rate and they probably don't know it or they've, they've, uh, they're on a, a fixed rate which has just come off and they haven't done their homework they haven't shopped around they haven't looked at to see would it make a difference I mean people are still with mortgages today and standard variable rate and they're paying very close if not over 4% mm. and they could be halving the interest rate on that alone Can I ask you this why do interest rate rises not apply to savings and, and when will, will they ever apply? 
Uh, that's a really good question as well because it doesn't go in tandem. If you notice that, you know, with the uh, half a percent rate of the ECB, uh, those on the standard variable rate, you know, they think that, oh, their bank is going to increase their rate now by half a percent. Well, they could slip in another quarter percent and you wouldn't notice it and you can do nothing about it because it's a standard variable rate subject to the, the, the vagaries of that particular lender that you're with. In terms of deposits, there is no obligation uh, on um, a bank depositors' part to have to, um, you know, simply because the mortgage interest rates have gone up, that they should do pro rata an increase in deposit rates. That is not going to happen. You won't find, for instance, that there's a half percent gone. The very best demand rate at the moment is 0.01%, Jerry. That's before their tax. You won't find this point, uh, you know, or 0.51%. Um, uh, you know, for your deposit rate, they're not going to mm. do that, and you still get nothing in credit unions. You know, credit unions don't give it any uh, interest at all. Mm. So, uh, not looking good in the short to medium term. Not, for not in the short to medium term. I, you know, if inflation continues the way it's going, yes, those interest rates will go up, and eventually they will affect the deposit rates market. So I'm just thinking here, John, before we finish, the national debt, I'll sure it's, uh, telephone numbers are beyond. So there's numbers not that we, we can comprehend. You've had the COVID where money has to be found to support uh, people and businesses. You now have the world situation on its head, interest rate rising, uh, rising inflation zooming up there and everybody looking for a pay rise. Who's going to pay for this? What a great question. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, it's our great-grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren, and all the future generations that are going to be coming after us, because this is what's happening right around the world. You know, present generations are just, you know, it's, there used to be a thing when you had a, do you remember the old five-pound uh, British note? And it used to say, I promise to pay the bearer the sum of five pounds. Well, that was backed by actual gold bullion in the Bank of England vault. Uh, that went out years ago when the, they, 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 you know, the standard of gold came in, and they, they then, you know, with a with a hue and a cry because there was nothing to back the paper money that they were printing. The government had to come out. Each successive government of of, uh, of different countries had to come out and actually guarantee their piece of paper uh, with, you know, the, the backing of, of of their own um, kind of resources. Mm. So that's that's allowed then people to ca- continue uh, trading in these paper notes, and basically it's all down to confidence. So you you can still print out money till the cows come home. Uh, nothing behind it except you're increasing your debt. And for, for some countries, you know, um, those, those debts are, are, you know, like, for instance, America, uh, we buy in the government um, bonds from America. It's guaranteed. The, the, the interest rate is quite good. It could be maybe 2% or maybe more with American bonds that the government, uh, Irish government, buy. However, there's not a, a snowball's chance in hell that the government will ever get that money back from America. It's gone. Mm. All we will get is the interest on it every year. And if we ever went back to America, by the way, could we have the money that we originally uh, bought with our, our bonds? We will never see it. 
and vice versa. So it's a merry-go-round, unfortunately. It certainly is. John, thank you so much. Always uh, value your opinion and advice. Thank you for joining me again on the show. Take care of yourself. That's John Lowe there, The Money Doctor. And check him out online, The Money Doctors, plural. And if you want to contact him directly, his number is 01278-5555. Backstreet Boys. October 1996, it was released. I should have kept it tomorrow. It could have been my two on Tuesday. Yes, it never made number one. Number two in the USA, where it sold two million copies. And the same in the UK. Number two, never made top spot there. Lovely song from the Backstreet Boys on your late lunch this Monday afternoon. Ah, them Chinese lanterns, Jerry. They're a bad job at any time. They've been known to kill farm animals who ate them. Oh, my word, have you ate that thing? You were certainly in trouble that I found in my garden last night, that's for sure. Um, They maim, they kill wildlife, they get tangled up in wildlife as well, and they are a fire danger, as you said. I wish people would think about that side of it too. Uh, That comes in today from a late lunch listener. Yes, it arrived in my garden out of the blue, front garden last night, wherever the hell it came from. But I was just mentioning earlier on the heat of it. Oh my word, the heat of it. It really was uh, very hot indeed. It would have caused a problem had it fallen into a dry area, that's for sure. And just while I'm mentioning dry areas and the land, my God, went the farmers busy over the weekend. I never saw anything like it because not far from where I am, uh, the harvest was going on and they were doing their best to uh, get the harvest finished before that heavy rain came last night. Well, I can tell you, Friday, Saturday and into Sunday, well, especially Friday and Saturday, they work until the early hours of the morning. The machinery is coming and going and working away. By God, they do put in a lot of work at this time of the year. They certainly do, and well done to them. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Just to mention as well this afternoon that LMFM have teamed up with Bus Erin to help the Dundalk branch of Meals on Wheels. Uh, There's a bus. Yes, there is a bus to be filled with essential food and household items that will be distributed to vulnerable people and elderly in the local community. The LMFM crew will come live from the Long Walk bus station this Thursday uh, from 10 to 4. Uh, We want to fill this bus, bus, even bus, with essential non-perishable food and household items to give the Dundalk Meals on Wheels the uh, service there a big boost. So they're asking you to call down on the day and bring along a donation. Some things like, for example, gravy granules, powdered custard, cornflour, tins of fruit, creamed rice, stock cubes, cooking oil, tin foil, you know what we're talking about. All that type of non-perishable stuff. That's this Thursday at the Long Walk bus station. Let's fill that bus. I was downtown the weekend and I came across one of those new phone kiosks. Did you see them? The new telephone kiosks on Lawrence Street in Drogheda. Had to stop and have a gander and look at it myself. Funny enough, just up the street, there's two of the old kiosks. And now there's this brand new touchscreen kiosk down the street with a telephone, etc. You can use your credit card on it. I'd say a lot of people are questioning, why put a kiosk in? Who would use a telephone kiosk today or a phone in a telephone kiosk? Honestly, when you have this little thing that I have here in my hand that can do anything under the sun and most people in the world have them, why would you put in a telephone kiosk? What's the point of it? And why put it in a few yards from the two old ones that are there already? Maybe they're going to take them out and just leave the one on the street. Have you seen the kiosk I'm talking about? 
there's a little eye on the top of it and they're very snazzy looking all right but I wonder, I question, I, and, and it's air that's put them in. I, I found out, did a little bit of research on it. They've rolled out in Dublin and I just spotted this one in Drogheda at the weekend. It was downtown doing a bit of shopping. Uh, anyone else come across those kiosks? Have I a point? Does anyone see a point of those? Maybe for tourists? No? Would they even use emergency calls? I'm just trying to think. Why, why put them in? Will they have any use? If you want to... Uh, Give me your opinion. Offer an opinion. I always love to hear from you, from you on the show. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. That gets me directly to the studio. Coming up next in the show. Have you ever been burned out in your job? Or do you feel wrecked or burned out today? Well, we have someone who was and has made a huge change in our lives. Stay with us at Late Lunch. After years of working in high-powered positions and experiencing three separate burnouts, my next guest made a change for the better. She's a productivity coach and she has a business now called Better Workday Programme Creator. And she even wrote a book recently uh, about remote working essentials. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon, Neve Brady. Hello, Neve. Hi, how are you doing? I'm really good. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. I'm very curious about you and your story first. Tell us about you and your experiences of burnout. Okay, so um, we'll try to keep it brief, will we? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're all right. We have time. We have time. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, so I experienced burnout in my first job after college. So that was way back in 2007. And like you said in the intro there, I went through it three different times at three different stages in my career. So the very first time it was because I was given the phone, I was given the laptop, you know, I was told, here's your desk, but I was given no advice on how to manage my time or, you know, to prioritize my work, to organize my day. So I tried to copy everyone else around me who looked like they were doing well, which meant taking on an awful lot of work, working really long hours and not looking after myself so mm. that'll end up in burnout number one mm. um and then the second time it happened it was a different stage of my life i was after buying a house it was um just at the beginning of the um the recession you know i was struggling with that i was after getting promoted i was trying to prove myself you know trying to show that i had earned the job again worked really long hours took on too much work and put myself at the bottom of the list um and and then the third time was something similar to that so it's interesting that you know each time i went through the cycle i was at a different stage of life uh, which goes to show it could happen you know no matter what what your personal circumstances are anybody could end up reaching that point you know mm. what were the symptoms how did you feel how did it manifest itself with you yeah, so if you look up symptoms for burnout now, you're going to find a list to the length of your arm. Yes. But the one that, the one that happened to me each of the times without failure um, was the first was I lost my sense of humour. So nothing was funny. I was dry as a brick, really now. I had, I had no fun. I was cynical. I was cynical of other people. You know, that kind of bit of yep. lightheartedness was gone. And the other, um, the other two things that stood out each of the times was I was afraid to not work. So it was like I was a hamster on a wheel and I was afraid to stop. I was afraid to stop spinning because I was afraid of what was going to happen. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I had to keep going, I had to keep going, I had to keep going. But at the exact same time, I was exhausted. Yes. Do you know, like lead, lead in your feet now. This, everything was heavy. So now this, as I said, 101 other symptoms and um, and they, they applied to different people, but they were the three that I always remember and they're the warning signs for me, you know. 
Mm. And, and that's an important thing to say, you know, and point to those. What are the warning signs? When you look back at it now, here's another thing. Is it to do with your personality or your work ethic? Because you come from a business background. You worked in your family business as a child, I know. Do, do, do you see anything in those there or something else that, you know, really left you more open to experience burnout? Oh, you hit the nail on the head there because, like, there's a number of reasons that people experience burnout. But people who have certain personality traits are more prone Mm. to go work in overwork cultures. Okay, so people like myself, I'm an overachiever, a bit of a perfectionist. You know, um, I like to take on more than I probably should so I can prove myself. And I would naturally be drawn to work environments and cultures that that like that, you know what mm. I mean, that benefit from that kind of thing. And a lot of people uh, who'd have a similar personality would do that. So we're drawn to where we're comfortable. Um, and that's why it's sometimes so difficult to kind of say, well, okay, maybe these kind of companies, these kind of jobs aren't the healthiest for me because I know what I'm like and yes. I know I will go there, you know. Um, so, yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot of different factors, external really, but definitely um, it's a due, due to your personality as well, I think, in mm. part, yeah company culture where you work do you know what I'm talking about do you hear about these people who are on massive salaries but they're expected to work like 12 14 hour days always be on call are there companies with a culture that foster this more than others yeah so I think that it's funny you'd say company but I'd nearly go to the team level okay um yeah and, and the reason I'd say that is um you know I've worked in a number of different companies over my career in IT and um there was some larger companies where I would worked in various different teams and one team was really good for you know boundaries and you know promoting based on you know real real value that you've added, you know, and how you made a difference and all that. I went into the other team and it was completely different, led by somebody who was an overworker, led by somebody who had no boundaries. And then as a result, the team started falling into the same bad habits. Mm. So you could have that culture at a company, but you could also have it at at the team level and, yes. and people working in the same building could have two very ex- different experiences of, of what work is like and I think it's important to know that. Mm, that's interesting. It, it, it really is. Now, you have sort of five steps that you uh, w- uh, talk about in terms of reducing the risk of, of burnout. Disconnecting from work, easier said than done, you have to say. Way easier said than done. I ha- I completely agree with you because now that I'm self-employed, it's nearly even harder than when I was yes, working yes. in corporate. But, you know, I think it's so important to be able to draw a line under the workday. And, you know, maybe the easiest way for you to disconnect from work is to make a quick plan of what you're going to do the next morning. So, so your brain says, OK, look, we can we can stop thinking about work now because we have a plan for the next day, you know. Mm. But, but even disconnecting you know, for a few hours in the evening, even if it's not straight away after you finish work, but taking some downtime is really, really important. Close the um, laptop, close the laptop, shut down the email, that type of thing. Get rid of the phone and the alerts coming in. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Like I always say, like, there's no reason why you should be checking your email on the toilet, you know, <laughs> like there's, there's just some, there's just some Have you a camera that, like, in my, so- have you a camera in my toilet? <laughs> <laughs> everyone is thinking that now uh, it's so true but like we're all guilty of this kind of stuff you know and it's just a matter of going do you know what now I'm drawing a line under it the work day is done 
as you said, I'm going to turn off the alerts. I'm going to leave the phone in the kitchen while I'm in in the front room or whatever mm. and create a little bit of space between you and your work day again so that you can return to it with fresh fresh eyes as well. You know what I mean? Mm. Because if we're always working, we give ourselves no chance yes. to think differently. Now, taking regular breaks during the working day, what are you talking about there? Just taking five, ten minute breaks. And one thing you do say, which is interesting, eat away from your workplace. A lot of people eat on the hoof. I know, I know. And you know what? I was at a workshop there a while back and we came up with this tip related to this. And I don't know now how appropriate it is, but I'm saying it anyway. So... Do you, do you know a smoker, right? Smokers are brilliant for taking their breaks during mm. the day, right? So they'll take their lunch break, but they'll also take those little five-minute breaks, mm. right? And when I gave up smoking 10 years ago, I stopped taking the little breaks, you know, the break mid-morning and the break in the afternoon, and I'd work through it or I'd bring the cup of tea back to my desk, right? Mm. So I say to somebody, if you're really struggling to, to leave her desk and to take a small break, body up with somebody who does, <laughs> Even if they happen yes. to be a smoker, you know what I mean. <laughs> like literally, find somebody else who does it. Yeah. I go with them. <laughs> I think you're the first person advocated uh, has advocated buddying with a smoker on the show. But I get well, what listen. you. I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I do. I really get what. And and it is so. It is so interesting that if you do smoke, you do go away, and when you don't, you don't. And and that's where. You don't. It, yeah, yeah. It it is so true. But those breaks you're saying very important to take those breaks and eat away from your desk. What do you mean by uh, the uh, third one there? Track your time. Yeah. So there's a huge body of research around like our misperceptions with time. So if you enjoy doing something, you'll think that the time flew. Time flies and you're having fun, right? Mm. And if you don't enjoy doing something, you'll think the time dragged, right? It's going to take ages to do it. So when we're coming up to doing a task then or a project, we use our past memory to try and say, oh, that'll take us, you know, only a half an hour. And we find that we're there till nine o'clock in the night or on the other side, I can't start that now, I've no time. So you keep putting it off and in the stress over it. So if you track your time, even for a couple of days mm. and just be more aware of how much time you actually spend on different things. You'll be amazed the different decisions you make around how you plan your day mm. and how much time you allocate things. So yeah. it's just pen and paper, jot it down and learn from your own experience. Yes. You know, and I think it's just, and it's free, simple, like you don't need any software, you know, no pad and pen. Yeah. Away you go. Uh, taking a day off. You're a great advocate of this at just, you know, saying I'm taking a day off midweek or whatever or it happens to be begin whenever. But taking a day off, you feel it gets you out of the environment, does a power of good. Oh, yes. And like for anyone who is a parent and has kids off school at the moment, right? Take her day off now, maybe the second week when they're back in school, Wednesday, like midweek when it's nice and quiet and take it just for you. Mm. because the thing about taking a day off midweek is that you just have a chance to completely step away from work and just give yourself an opportunity just to, to have a quick recovery, you know, um, mm. and and have a little bit of fun. Um, and, you know, it's not kind of rolling into your weekends. You're not feeling like you have to do weekendy stuff. You yes. can just do whatever it is that you fancy. Like I try to do one once every six weeks, you know, six or eight weeks, so that even if I don't have a big chunk of time coming off soon, I still have something nice to look forward to. And look, even if it's a half day. Yeah. 
But you break the week up. up. That's what you're saying. Midweek, break the week up and take that. And have you found that it just gives you that little, you know, drive of energy when you come back, even though it's only 24 hours? Oh, absolutely. And I find that the busier I am, so at the moment, like the kind of work I do, like I have really busy seasons, busy cycles, you know. Mm. Um, and in the past, I would have waited until the business had ended to take the day off. Now I take it in the middle. Mm. And it just gives me a chance to rest, kind of recover a bit, and then get excited about going back into it again. You know, so you've you've got more momentum and you're able to kind of sustain that performance. So it's really good, especially when you're busy. Like if you think you don't need a break, that's exactly when you need a break. Yes, you yes, know? that's yeah. a good point to yeah. make there. And 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 finally, I suppose people. You know, in a work situation where, you know, you, you mentioned the team and you may have a team that are all belting along and you don't want to raise your head above the parapet. For, but say you have a ginormous workload, you are just struggling, you are finding that you are and you're saying to yourself, I cannot cope. Ask for help. Yeah, ask for help. And, you know, you might think that you're the only one struggling, but... I completed my Better Work Day survey for 2022 only recently. I'm in the middle of compiling the results, right? And I will tell you that 80% of the respondents have said they're either frustrated with work because they can't get it done or they're overwhelmed. So you are not Mm. the only one. Mm. And if you ask for help, you're doing two things. First of all, you're probably going to get some help, which is fantastic. But secondly, you're giving other people permission to ask for help as well. Because if they see you doing it, they yes. say, oh, okay, maybe I can ask. Mm. And all of a sudden, it becomes, you know, a change from everybody focusing on their own stuff to everybody trying to help each other a little bit. And that completely changes the dynamic. Mm. And, and you, know, you know, everybody benefits. As you say, it's often, you know, you talk about whistleblowing. Somebody says something that they've been keeping to themselves for years and suddenly the whole thing, it's like a tsunami, opens up as well. And that, those results that you mentioned there bear out that, that you are, are, are not alone in this. And for anyone listening today who feels like that, what's your final sort of words of advice to them? If the listener was saying, that is me. Yeah, well, I'd say don't wait until burnout to do something yes. about it. So burnout is not a destination. It's not, well, when I'm burnt out, I'll take care of myself. No, like even if you're feeling tired at work or under pressure at work, some days take action today. Like the five steps we've gone through there are really practical. Um, but talk to somebody, you know, um, talk to somebody you work with or talk to a friend or talk to, you know, a professional if you feel like you're really struggling and start taking some action take a break Mm. leave your phone put your phone away (laughs) (laughs) but it is true don't wait until the world falls around your ears the other one just to mention uh, and you've written the book about it you know remote working there are people working alone not in teams anymore connected via Mm. zoom or whatever and they can be equally as fraught with frustration and despair that's important to say too isn't it yeah and like i don't know if you've seen the research recently around loneliness but like they say that is it one in five people say that they are feeling lonely at work and that doubles for people under 26. Mm. And it's because to your point, like remote working for some people is remote working where there's no, not a lot of other human interaction around. So if, if you are going to be remote working part or all of the time from now on is a long term working situation, mm. getting that social network in place and getting that support and you know, always having a work buddy 
it's so important, you know, to, to prevent burnout, but also for the loneliness piece and just to have a better work day, you know, like you want to have fun at work as well. And that's a lovely way to conclude a most interesting conversation at betterworkday.com. Check this wonderful lady out. Her name is Neve Brady. And you've just opened up a new vista, haven't you, on your life with the walking away from this burnout? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a whole new day right here. Um, so even though it's thunder and rain uh, down in Cork <laughs> at the moment, it's definitely, it's definitely better off. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me Thank on you today. for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it, Neve. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Neve Brady there at betterworkday.com. It's a, a fountain of information there if you want to check it out. And it is a reality for an awful lot of people. Enjoyed that chat with Neve there, I have to say. I have to tell you, I was with my granddaughter, Ava, in the cast relatively recently. And I'm not joking you, she gave us the laugh of laughs. We were going somewhere and she knew where we were going. Now she's only seven, right? And she's in the back of the car and we sat and were in the car. And we came to a, we were driving along and I knew it was a right turn next. And from the back of the car, the little Ava says, in 500 metres, turn right. In the voice of the lady in the car who gives you the directions when you're on the sat-nav. Well, you know what? I nearly crashed the car. Never mind, you know, taking the next turn to the right-hand side. And it just shows you the way she mimicked. She obviously, she wouldn't hear it to me, but where I'm mum and dad in the car, she heard, and it's an English voice, and I can still hear it, our little Ava saying, in 500 metres, take the next turn, right? Children, you can't beat them, can you? Ah, they're just the best in the world. And the fun we had, I'm sure many of you had in your back gardens over the weekend with children and grandchildren. We have the wee blow-up swimming pool. Oh, the fun they had in that little pool. The money you spend in it, sure, it's half nothing. And the crack they had in it. And mind you, I filled the water from uh, saved water mostly and a little bit more as well. And we used it for midweek last week to the weekend in case you start giving out to me. You know the way you do that by times. Anyway, coming up after three on the show, my artist of the week. Oh, they're so sweet. I'll remind you again. And we pay tribute to the late, great Kevin Behan. Taking us up to top of the hour on Late Lunch News, Weather and Sport this Monday afternoon on LMFM Radio. I love this one. It's Mr. Lionel Richie. And you know, Late Lunch listeners, I'm always stuck on you. Always, always. I promise. Stuck on you I've got this feeling down deep in my soul That I just can't lose Guess I'm on my way You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio And it's time for this The Late Lunch Artist of the Week Artist of the Week Formed in 1968, my artists of the week really hit the heights from the mid-70s and hold the distinction of having at least one hit song on the UK singles chart for 14 successive years from 1970 to 1984. Who am I talking about when I tell you their genre oozes funk, soul, pop, disco, founded by Errol Brown and Tony Wilson Yes, it's the sweet sounds of hot chocolate all this week on Late Lunch. Originally called The Hot Chocolate Band, then The Hot Chocolate 
before their mentor and producer Mickey Most abbreviated the name to simply Hot Chocolate. He got it so right, didn't he? Today I begin my week of chocolate in the spotlight with the song that earned them their first UK number one after 15 other chart hits didn't quite make it to top spot. And there's a story behind the song. Producer Mickey Most resisted calls to give So You Win Again to British soul pop outfit The Real Thing. They were big at the time too, weren't they? And he gifted it to Hot Chocolate instead, playing the song to the dubious band themselves for the first time. He told them, boys, if we do this and we get it right, it will be a number one. Sure enough, he was right. And the song quickly became Hot Chocolate's first UK chart topper. I think that's a song that every team that plays Manchester City could adopt. You win again. Yes, hot chocolate, my artist of the week. The distinctive tones of Errol Brown there. And we'll have more about hot chocolate in words and song round about this time tomorrow afternoon. Thank you to everybody who entered for the Joe Dolan competition. All your names are in the hat. You'll have opportunities if you haven't entered tomorrow and Wednesday and then we draw on Thursday for the overall winner. Final break of the afternoon on the way and afterwards I will be remembering the late great Kevin Behan. Kevin Behan was a football icon in County Loud. St Mary's RD he won numerous senior titles and of course he was part of the Loud team that won that All-Ireland back in 1957 the last one the week county won and he passed away sadly in late July from my archives I went back to 2016 and the day that Kevin joined me here in studio and I have to say I have a wonderful half hour of conversation with him but today in tribute to him I'm going to replay an extract from that interview for you. He covered many aspects of his life and the game but here he begins talking to me about football and football of the modern era compared to his day. The football as I told you earlier on, uh, Jerry, the foot is got out of football. But as I say, there's no point in going through for a goal and you stop and you do 20, 20 press-ups. You won't score a goal that way. You know, you have to have ball practice. And I mean, because the same thing never happens twice in football and you have to, have, you have to be very alert up here that you can uh, react to a situation and react quickly. That's why I said uh, Dublin have a powerful manager in Gavin. I have not, a lot of respect for that. For that's what was a test pilot for the Air Corps. Mm. He hasn't too many minutes to make up his mind when he's up there, you know. And he brings the same <laughs> when know? he's on the side of the pitch. <laughs> and he brings it to the pitch, you, you said know? something there, the foot has gone out of football. Yeah, and it's terrible. I was, uh, um, uh, you don't like saying the, too many eyes, but I was a big foot passer. And it's very hard to block. Whereas the other way you go with a hand pass, it's, it's, it's predictable and people know where it's going and you can have a foot, foot, pat, a foot pass and it's quicker. Nothing travels faster than a ball, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, and, and how, yeah. do, how do you get back to that? 
you know, this is probably something that's perplexing people involved in the game. Do you have to legislate for this? Do you have to bring in rules that make... Well, you see, the, 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 there's a few things. It'd be difficult to do it. Uh, I mean, the, the solo run is overplayed too much. You know, and the hand pass is definitely overplayed too much. And the short kick out. You know, this thing of a midfield looking up and catching the ball away, which is one of the spectacles of Gaelic football. Mm. And he's penalised because four fellows come in and tackle him. Mm. It's up to the referee to give the, 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 the fellow that catches it the advantages. Mm. And you don't have to change any rules. But it, it, it comes and goes, you know. I mean, the, the systems change and players change. But fitness is an enormous level. You're talking about diets and all this sort of thing. I played with football, football with fellas, and they mightn't have had my breakfast. And I, I don't mean that facetiously, no. Fellas in RD, that were just uh, hadn't got an awful lot to eat, you know. There was no money, there was no food, there, was there no were money, tough times. You know, and, 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 and. The depressed 50s in Ireland was a very hard time for the oh, country. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. after the war and things like that. The, the final in 57. That day, the highlight of your career to win in All Ireland? Oh, not a doubt in the wide earthly world. Mm. Not a doubt in the wide earthly world. You know, you can you can get awards. You can get some bogey awards too. I won't. I won't elaborate on that one. Uh, but uh, it is the highlight. That's the pinnacle. Mm. The pinnacle. You know, and you've you've done it. Now, it takes, there's, a, there's an awful lot more to just kicking a ball around. There is, now, we had no psychologists, but we had a few fellas that knew their business mm. and a few of them that knew how to win, you know, and we, we, were, we were good as a, as a unit. You know, we were a team, T-E-A-M, you know, and, I mean, I, I like to think I was a coordinator in the middle of the field, you know, I scored a lot, but that was because you saw an opportunity. I'd be cute. <laughs> <laughs> I was only five foot seven and a half and eleven stone three. You came on the county scene in the fifties, Kevin played up to sixty four or so. Did you feel that, you know, Loud might have won more? Oh, I think uh they should have won more. But they, they, they were lucky. Don't 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 have me to talk about referees now. Because they were done in nineteen fifty. But a good cabin man, and a uh, few bits of experiences, and they were done by Mister Sludden in more recent in, in more times. recent times, and 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 uh, <laughs> and uh, I ran into a Dublin fist in Navan one time, and the referee told me I knew the ref. He said I spent a week in the Richmond Hospital. I met him afterwards. He said I thought you were bluffing. He ended up as president of the GAA, you know. So, oh. you, so referees are not high in your list of Christmas. Card they are not. They are not. They are not. And the referee and 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 that and that that lady's final. I mean, he is eyes in his head as well. That's last Sunday. Dublin last Sunday. Criminal. That's criminal. That. Uh, uh, but you know the way they say, Ken, uh, Kevin, swings and roundabouts with referees. You get the nod today, you don't tomorrow. It goes your way this week, it might next week. Yeah, but they, they, they mean maybe they, by and large, there's about four good referees in the country, in my book. You know, and at an, the minute, indeed. at the minute, there's an awful lot of cowboys. But how do you? Well, what is it? Is are the rules? The rules are complex. The interpretation of the tackle still. You mentioned somebody feels under surrounded and they lose the free against them. The black card, the yellow card, the red card. Oh my God! 
Look, I'll tell you, they soon won't be there won't be enough of cards soon if they keep at the rate they're going. They're going to have fifty two cards as soon as they as a deck of cards, you know. There's too many cards and you see there's no there's no there's no level playing field for the want of a, a better word with the black card. Black there's some black cards that shouldn't be and there are some black cards that should be. Mm. You know. You go back you hate reminiscing because nobody's nobody wants to remember a year to remember. Nobody wears shin guards now. You had to wear shin guards that time because you might get the two legs taken from under you. Right? Mm. You'd wonder would you get a free. But you went on anyway. Mm. You know? That's only an aside. No, it's it's it, it, it's a great game if it was left alone. There have been less changes in Hurling and Hurling is a marvellous, marvellous game and the skill factor in it. I mean, if you can run now, you're a footballer. You know, but there was... There were uh, old fellas that I played with that couldn't run from here to the mic, but they had a marvellous football brain. They're dead. They're no longer wanted because they can't run, you know? And then you get a certain armour full-back that never kicked the ball at the time they won the All-Ireland. He punched it. You know, it, it is called football. And they shouldn't be ape and soccer. I mean, I think one of the Kilkenny fellas made the best statement I made. He said, they were talking about sweepers. He said, the only sweeper we have is the brush in the kitchen. That was a great speak. Mm. You know, I mean, to me, he was a full forward. Heffernan was a roving full forward, but he wasn't a sweeper. Why ape a game while your own game can stand on its own feet? That's my attitude. Ah, yes, the late, great Kevin Behan there with words of wisdom. And I'll podcast that full interview on LMFM. Dot .ie this evening. Tomorrow on Late Lunch, Sarah Carey and myself, Fifty Shades of Grey. Rachel Cooper's here. She's written a lovely book about our national anthem. We'll have your two on Tuesday and continue the story of my artist of the week, Hot Chocolate. Eddie Caffey's coming next with The Drive. I want to say a big thank you to Brian Farley and Lizzie Dorn for guiding me safely through the last couple of hours. And we leave you today in the company of the wonderful George Ezra. And I'll dedicate this to my granddaughter Ava. She loves them and I mention on the show. See you Tuesday, 1.30. But she moves like lightning And she counts to three Then she turns out all the lights And says she's coming for me Now put your hands up This is a heist LMFM Podcasts With CNC Carpets We bring the showroom to you Or book a new showroom appointment On 087 660 4237 One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.